Y'all can be seated. It's really good to be together today. I want to take a moment and talk with you about an upcoming event that blesses children and their families in our community. And it's called The Gift. It's an opportunity where we, in working in cooperation with our local schools, are able to discover families who are in need, families with children, and to ask permission to minister to them by giving groceries to them at Christmas. And this ministry is called The Gift. It's an opportunity where for $20 we can fill a bag with some essential groceries and deliver it to their house. We include with it a DVD from the Billy Graham Association that shares the gospel and encourages them. We also attach to it a gospel track, and we try to connect with these families, many of them who are really hurting, uh, at a very sensitive time. The way that you can be involved in this is many-fold. We first ask you to pray that it be an effective ministry. We don't want to do something that is not blessed by God and His hand, and so we need to pray to Him and ask Him to make it effective. Second, we need you to give. We minister to about 250 homes. Some of those homes received one bag of groceries. Some receive more. It's based on the number of persons living in the home. And so we need you to give to sponsor bags of groceries to go into those homes. We also need you to participate. We need drivers to deliver, organizers, several different ways you can be a part of the administration. After the service today, when you exit into the lobby, on your left as you exit, there will be a table set up for the gift And you'll be able to talk with folks there and sign up. If you want to donate, you can write the check to Kingsville Baptist Church and just in the memo put, the gift. And that will go to that. Each $20 buys a bag of groceries for a family. So join us as we minister to our community. And we work in cooperation with our good friends at Max Fresh Market and make this wonderful delivery to them and to encourage our families. Wow. It's good to be together. Wasn't this a sweet service? I have so enjoyed it. I've been kind of sitting back and just uh, relishing the beauty of it and enjoying the children leading us. Thank you all who took time to put this together and all the work that went in. Kids, y'all did a great job. Y'all give the kids a hand. Yes, indeed. At the end of the service today also, at every exit, there will be a form that is a deacon nomination form. You'll have a list of names of those folks who meet the fundamental qualifications for deacon ministry in our church. Those qualities are things like consistency, time of membership, age. And we at Kingsville years ago, in thinking through the process, chose that folks who had been divorced and remarried would not be eligible for the deacon ministry. And so you'll see that reflected in the list that you'll be handed. You'll take this week to pray over it. We do not want any of those forms turned into us today. 
We're not asking for you to fill them out quickly, uh, to do something on the spot. We want you to take them home, pray over them. We also realize that anytime you're doing administrative things with people, you can have oversights. So we've left some blanks at the bottom. If you know of somebody that would be eligible, that somehow through all the things that happened in the administration of this many people, we could have missed, we ask that you write those down and then our deacons will take a look at that and consider that person, that man that you write down there. So if you would just take time this week, pray over that list. Next week we'll turn those nominations in. Nominating is not the same thing as voting. Today you are setting up men for the process to begin. That means that as they are nominated, they will be interviewed. That big sheet we gave to you last week, we'll go over that with them and talk with them. They'll share their testimony of conversion with us. There will be a long process that we'll go through before we bring them to the church. So you're just helping us get it started. We're excited about it. We love our deacons, are so thankful for the ministry they're already doing, and look forward to the ministry together with them in the future. The message today is loving the orphan. I don't know if you've done a word study in the Bible, but the word orphan is used about 44 times in its different form, whether it's orphan or the word fatherless. There is a consistent theme from the beginning of the Bible to the end that God consistently is concerned for and cares for the orphan. There are a lot of Bible texts around it. I'm going to introduce you to one to kind of kick off today, and it's in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And in that passage, there is a discussion about what true and false religion is. And so in that discussion about true and false religion, James in verse 26 says this, if anyone, this is chapter 1, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So he kind of tags worthless religion. Now, let me help you with the word religion real quick. This word is a heavy word in the New Testament. When we talk about religion today, it's kind of like a topical thing when we say, well, we don't discuss religion in politics and in, uh, in public. or we, we just throw the word around without much meaning because we think of religion in terms of something that's simply habitual. That's not the way that this word is understood in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word means that you are doing something that is related to an awe, A-W-E, an awe that you have for a being. So there's this awe that exists in your heart, this profound, reverential, fearful, worshipful awe, and that that compels a person to certain behaviors and activities. So when the word is mentioned here, it's not like, well, your religion, just the word we throw around. It means that which by awe and worship moves 
you to behavior. It's that which compels, draws, encourages what we would call an impetus or a motive to something. And so when James drops the word religion, it's a big word. And he says, a religion of unbridled tongue and self-deception is worthless. But then, he says, you want to know what true religion looks like? True awe of God? True reverential worship of God looks like? He doesn't. Give a picture of a church service. He doesn't give a picture of a preacher or raised hands or bowed heads. He doesn't do that. He said, this is what it looks like. So look at what he does. Verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion. In whose sight? The sight of our God and Father. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. So hold on there. The word visit sounds, well, it sounds wrong. Because it sounds like a visitation program. What are y'all doing? Well, on Tuesday nights, we visit orphans. That's not at all. Let me tell you about the word that's used here. And I think, not well translated here, not because I think I'm smarter than the New American Standard translators, but I think there's a nuance here that we don't have. It's the word that's used for an elder in a church. An overseer. It's used when Paul talks about a pastor in the book of Timothy. When Paul says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, it's used when Paul is gathering the people in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 to tell them that he's departing for Jerusalem and to remind them that they're in charge of the congregation to take care of them as a shepherd. It's the word that is often translated pastor or Elder, it's the word that we get the name of a certain denomination, Episcopal. And so here is a word, not that means to go by and check on. The word literally means to take charge of the care of. So, Pastor Paul, what's it, how's it, when you put that into like real life, okay, Let's say that you have an invalid family member. They just became infirm and you moved them into your house and now you are in charge of their health and the care for them. That's the word used here. You now are in charge of the care for them. So the word here carries Huge responsibility. It means that the church has been given the responsibility of taking charge of the care of orphans. A hundred and fifty million of them are locatable globally. That means that they're registered in some way with some organization as being parentless in some form, whether the father has died, the mother has died, or both parents have died, and they're, because of that, in a compromised situation. And so, the word to take charge of this is a huge word. That means that James says, you want to see what real religion looks like? Oh, hold on, here we go. If you were adopted, have adopted, have fostered or been fostered, 
or in the process of any of those, would you stand up? Come on. Come on. If you were adopted, have adopted, fostered, were fostered, are fostering, okay? Look around real quick. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? Hey, stop. This is what true religion looks like. We're seeing it in action. That's right. It's beautiful. Now think through this. What God is doing in this is He's saying there is a kind of connection between the church and the orphan that is proof of real awe of God. And it means the church has a sense of personal responsibility for global orphans. Starts local, goes global. Let's find out how we got there in the Bible. Let's start in the book of Deuteronomy. Just going to give you an introduction and an overview and some things to take home and a place to research today. So here we go. Number one, we learn of loving the orphan in the law of God. This is where it's first picked up. We get Exodus 22.22 when the Bible says, Do not take advantage of the orphan or widow. Do not afflict them. Now it's interesting. In the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, a few times in the New Testament, they were lumped together. They were lumped together as a group. The alien, means a foreigner. The widow and the orphan were lumped together. On ten different occasions in the Bible, they're lumped together. When one's mentioned, all three are mentioned. The alien, the orphan, and the widow. Why would God lump them together? Well, for several reasons. First, because they are all at a disadvantage. An alien living in the land is separated from his or her culture his or her homeland, maybe his or her family, and they are disadvantaged. A fatherless child is disadvantaged. There's no dad to work and provide. A widow who has lost her husband was disadvantaged because there was no working income for the home. They were all at a disadvantage. They were also all lacking particular connections. The alien had no connection to its cultural heritage, its family. The widow had lost connection to their closest person on earth, their spouse. And the orphan had lost connection to one or both parents. So they lack connection, they're at a disadvantage, and they need support. All of the scripture passages that lump them together, lump them together as needy, And that support was to be given to them. And so every time you read, and you could just do a real simple study. Just do a word study. In the Old Testament, you can go online and do it. You've got the little electronic Bibles. We've got our iPhones. We can do this pretty easily. Uh, Google it. Uh, You can do the study. And, And when they lump them together, when God, through Moses, lumps them together, it's always because they're in need. So, when we get the chief passage of it, it's found in Deuteronomy 24.17. So let's go there. It's probably the most extensive passage on it. We're going to spend just a minute there looking at some do's and don'ts and why's. So letter A, there was a don't do in this list. So Deuteronomy 
24, kicking off in verse 17. You shall not pervert justice due to an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. Exodus 22 said, you shall not afflict the orphan or the alien. Why is there a don't do like this? You would think that this is a duh, right? But here's the deal. Humans are messed up. Have y'all ever figured that out? We're messed up. We're really deeply fundamentally flawed. And we tend in our fallenness to take advantage of desperate people. The people who are being sold into slavery and bondage and into prostitution and a lot of other things, even to this day, were people who lacked connection, were disadvantaged, and were in need of support. And they were desperate people. They were desperate. And so mean, ugly, wicked, evil people would take desperate people and take advantage of them. To this day, globally, the child trafficking, the other kinds of trafficking that you know I'm talking about, are all people often found in desperate situations and taken advantage of. And so the Bible says you don't, you don't take advantage of people in their desperation. You are sensitive to them. And so there's a don't do. Don't take advantage. Don't pervert justice. Don't afflict. Don't use their desperation as a way that you could pay them lower wages because they're desperate. Use them as sort of an indentured slave because they're desperate. Take advantage of them morally because they're desperate. Take advantage of them even militarily all over the world. There are armies that are fed with young boys who are desperate and used for military exercises. It's a heartbreaking reality. So there's a don't do. Don't take advantage of people who are desperate, disadvantaged, lack connection, and support. There's a do in this passage. What's the do? It's found in verses 19 through 21. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field, and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. You say, that's weird. No, that, that's how it worked. You just left. You left the corners of your field un, uh, un, uh, unharvested. You said, is the Bible ever... Uh, one of the greatest stories of the Bible tells exactly about this. What story is that? It's Ruth. The whole connection starts with her gleaning the leftovers in a field. Why? She's a widow. The whole story begins with somebody who did what this passage says. They didn't cut the corners of their field. They left the extra for the alien, the widow, and the orphan. So, he goes on, the Lord tells us through Moses, verse 20, When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. So, there's a do. In other words, the fundamental premise here is provision. You provide for them. Who's this to? Well, in the Old Testament, it's to everybody. Every believing person was called to take on the responsibility of doing this very thing. Making sure that they provided for 
the orphan, the widow, and the alien. Wow. So we have a target here that God is having us do certain things and don't do certain things. But underneath it is a beautiful why. Now we'll visit it here and we'll visit again at the close. There was a why, letter C. In verses 18 and 22... It says, you know, there was a time that you were disadvantaged, lacked connection and support. When was that? Verse 18. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. Okay? He's saying, why? Because at some point you were disadvantaged in God's size, lacked connection in God's eyes, lacked support in God. Delivered you. He mentions it again and finishes the passage in verse 22 with it. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and therefore I am commanding you to do this thing. Okay, so redemption is the premise of our activity and our behavior. That's why James says what he says. He says there should be an awe in us toward God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, compelled by His Word, that we're in awe that God saw us as orphans and came to our rescue. And that that awe for what He's done for us should inspire us to don'ts. Don't take advantage of people in their weakness and desperation. And do provide for them in their weakness and desperation. Make sure. So that moves us into the second part. We learn of loving the orphan through not just this law that God gives us, but the love that God is. We learn it through the love of God. We know texts like, For God so loved the world that He gave. God is the model of giving of Himself. And taking care of the widow, the orphan, and the alien is a giving of ourselves. It is fundamentally sacrificial. Sacrificial. As God's love is, it is sacrificial. But God didn't leave it just out there. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 15, the Bible tells us about God's election of Israel as a people. And He says, the Lord placed His... Sweet affection on your forefathers to love them. And then he says from that, there's activity that you ought to have toward the alien, toward the widow, and toward the the orphan, because God loves them. And so you can study, go take some time and look through Deuteronomy 10, 15 through 18. So what's happening here is that God is given us an example and a law and uh, an impulse. And that impulse is number three. And this is where we visit again what we've just spoken of. Number three, we learn of the loving of the orphans through the life God has given us in Christ. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. When James is talking to the people, he's talking to redeemed people. And he's saying redemption should have done something in you that inspires a kind of behavior in you that mimics the one who redeems you. So because He loved you, you should love others. Because He gave on your behalf, you should give to others. And so when James gets this succinct passage and says, 
true, pure, undefiled religion is this, to take care of orphans and widows in their need, he's saying that this comes out of a life you've been given. Paul reviews that life in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go there for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Now what Paul is going to do is he's going to drop a reminder in the same way that God did when he was calling Israel to a certain behavior. He said, you ought to behave like this because you were slaves in Egypt and I was your Redeemer. So he's provoking their memory. Well, Paul does exactly the same thing in Ephesians 2 verse 11. He's talking to us Gentiles those who were not of that elect nation, but God has elected to save us through Christ and chosen us in Him that He might adopt us, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1. But verse 11 tells the outcome of that. He says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time Now look at this list. You were separate from Christ. Every one of us needs to do a a BC right now. Before Christ. There was a time that you were in this position. You were separate from Christ. Listen to the outcomes of that. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, there was a time that none of the promises of the Old Testament could you lay claim to anything said back there. You couldn't say the Lord is my shepherd because you were excluded because you were in unbelief. You were separated from God. He was not your shepherd. He was your judge. And then he says, strangers to the covenants of promise. All the promise that He has made in the past regarding the future of what He is going to do with His people, you were not His people, so you were not a part of that promise. And then He goes on and says, having no hope. This is where we were. Without Jesus, B.C., no hope. We need to remember this. We need to go back and do some B.C. sometimes. And really think, what condition were we in before Christ? And then he goes on, and without God in this world. This is where we were. So what Paul does is what God does through Moses. Because Paul learned from God and from Moses. God through Moses says to Israel, you treat people this way because I treated you this way. I was your redeemer, your rescuer. I was the one who came and found you in your condition and redeemed you from that. Therefore, you're to be merciful to all people. And let me point out a few of those people, God says. Well, let's just get everybody on board. Aliens, widows, orphans. He just kind of includes everybody. Who should we be merciful to? Everybody. But we're focusing particularly on this one need today, the need of orphans to be cared for. And so, this life, he turns it and watch what he says. He says, but in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Can I get just a little bit of amen on that? That's just good news. The blood of Jesus brought us near, didn't it? We sing about it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound of saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, 
B.C. But now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We love the truth of this. And here he says, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. But he goes into it a little deeper. Come all the way down to verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's picking up language from the Old Testament. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. (laughs) That means God has done what B.J. and Holly have done. He has picked you out of the orphanage of your soul. Out of the outcast and separatedness. He's done what... Dan and Stacy Prestridge did, done what many families in our church are working toward right now. And God saw you in your condition, in the orphanage of your soul, and He came and He chose you. And He brought you into His house. And right now, you have His name. You have His inheritance. You have all of His promises. They're all there. And so this is what inspires the awe that James is talking about. So he says, you are fellow citizens with the saints, Paul says, so that James says, this is what religion looks like. It looks like redeemed people acting like their Redeemer. That's what it looks like. Redeemed people acting like their Redeemer. Loving sacrificially and including and drawing people into our households. And so, what is the key word here? It's the word adoption. The life God has given us in Christ is the life of adoption. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us in this wonderful passage. It says, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons. Why doesn't He say daughters there? If you've read Russell Moore's book, you'll know. Adopted for life. Why doesn't He say daughters? Is He being exclusive Non-inclusive? No. Everybody knew that in that time period that only sons could own property and get an inheritance. Ladies, it's not that he's being anti-woman, he's being pro-woman. You, as a lady, have the same adoptive power as a man. You have a sonship, which means God is giving you his inheritance directly. Not through somebody you're married to or the daughter of, except that you're the daughter of God. This is glorious. The reason sons is used here is because only sons could inherit property. Only sons could inherit the fortune. And so this is the glorious picture that all who are in Christ get this wonderful thing. So what do we do when we hear that? Well, we need to respond. Here's how we respond. Letter A, get informed. I've left a website up here. This is a great website to go and visit and get informed about adoption and about foster care. We have lots of parents here who are in the know about it. They know how to do it, why to do it, where to do it. They can help you. Please let us know. Go to this website. Tons of information and a lot of links to other organizations that you can be allied with. So get informed. That's the first thing we need to do is understand the need. The need is right here in central Louisiana. Letter B, seriously, frequently pray. This needs to move into our top five on our prayer list. 
We need to get the condition of orphans. God has told us how important it is to Him. And so somewhere between God's importance and all of these people that are just hanging out there, there is the connection the church makes between God and them through prayer and activity. And that's where we get to letter C. Take action. Our church is embedded in this kind of work in a lot of areas. Through work with addiction, work in counseling, work at the Hope House, work in what we call Hope House follow-up with the opportunity to invest in folks coming out of Hope House after one year or 18 months of training and learning and all the things that goes on. These moms come out of Hope House and they need stability. Our church is investing in that by helping with that right now. It's amazing what I see God doing in our midst. Take action. There are three ways. Number one. Work at preserving families. My brothers and sisters, we need to quit taking family breakups so stinking lightly. It's serious. Every time there is a family breakup, there is an orphanizing of children. It's a serious issue. The church needs to be neck deep in helping moms and dads stay together and be stable. We need to invest in homes and families, counseling. We need training. We need financial training. We need marital training. We need all of these things that we can do inside of homes at individual levels. Folks that aren't going to step into the church but would receive us if we came to them. We have opportunities to invest. So we need to work at preserving families. Second, we need to work at reuniting families. It's not glorious when families break up and children are not cared for. It is to God's glory to try to do all we can to help restore and reconnect, reunite families. This is an important ministry of our church. Be careful the counsel you give. I cannot heavily enough say this statement. When somebody talks to you about breaking up a family, I want you to take a deep breath and count for however many seconds it needs to be to call up in your mind how seriously God takes families before you say a word. We very flippantly tell people things about family breakups that I think are not from God. I think they're from the devil. And I think we need to draw in a deep breath and count and even sometimes say, I've got to pray for you about this before I can even respond to you. Let's get together and pray over this. This is a serious matter. Preserving and reuniting families needs to be a top-line ministry of the church locally and globally. And finally, work at expanding families. What's that mean? Be involved congregationally, personally, familiarly with adoption and foster care. Commit ourselves. You see, I am not in a place where I can personally do that right now. Great, invest. Invest through prayer and through giving into families that 
are doing that. You say, Pastor Bert, I don't know any of the families. I'll connect you. Talk to Wendy. Talk to Steve. Talk to Sean. Talk to Richard. We'll connect you with families that are in this process that you can invest in. You can invest in child care to help families. You can invest in helping with babysitting. With all kinds of needs, work at expanding families. Think about foster care in your own home. Adoption in your own home. Weigh these things out and pray fervently over them because they belong to us. When the Lord spoke through James, He did so with a serious word. And the word was a comparative between whether or not our all of worship called religion would be pure and undefiled. Or as he said in the previous verse, useless. We want to care for those that God cares for. So I'm challenging you to end this day in prayer. But during our invitation that you bow, maybe you come here, you think about 153 million orphans worldwide and hundreds locally, and that you would commit this day to prayer for this need, to be informed and to make a difference by taking action. Now, as we bow together and close today, some of you are still exactly as Paul described in Ephesians. You are still separated from God. You are still without hope and without God in this world. That's where you are. You came in here today in that condition. You do not have to leave today in that condition. You could actually this very day become a part of God's own family. He actually is ready to adopt right now. He is ready to take you into His family. And here's how. The first step is to realize who we're talking about. God who made you. He made the universe. He's holy and righteous and good. And He has an incredible adoptive love for you. He wants to make you His child this day. But your sin has separated you from Him. And you're at a distance, a guilty distance. You're separated from Him because of your sin. But God knew that you couldn't fix that. So He did something about it. He sent His own Son, God, wearing human skin, being a human, truly human, fully God. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and He lived the way you should have lived, sinlessly. And the Bible says that in love, He went to the cross to die for your sins. Everything you've done. In fact, in that moment, He became you. Taking upon Himself your guilt, your shame, and your punishment. And He was able to swallow into His person what eternity in hell would be like for you. And He was able to drink that down and resolve it. The Bible says He died on the cross for your sins. He was raised from the dead on the third day to prove that God accepted the payment in full. And God offers to you through repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus Christ the opportunity to call Him Dad. (laughs) That's a beautiful word. Dad. God wants you to call Him Dad.
and He is offering that to you if you would turn away from your own way today and turn to Him. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ and believing that God raised Him from the dead. Believe that today and you'll be His son, His daughter. You'll have the sonship of His heir and eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Would you bow and pray with me? If you're ready to come to Him this day, pray with me. God, I know that this is what I need. You are my God, and I have offended You with my sin. I'm sorry. I have heard the message today that You'll take me as Your child. If I believe, if I place my faith in Jesus Christ, turning away from my own way. And that's what I'm doing now. So I'm telling you, God, I believe. Save me. Forgive me. Make me your child. Let me say, Dad, when I talk to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, if you called upon the Lord to save you, if you're ready to come and pray with us for adoption, pray at your seat, pray for the children of the world, pray for foster care, join us and let's pray together as we serve Him. Would you come?